Well, good morning. Praise God. Aren't you glad his precious blood has covered you? Father, we thank you so much for the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the hope that is just ringing out as this song was just sung by the choir. We thank you for being a wonderful God that we love deeply, Lord, today, and we would pray that when we would leave here, we might be encouraged from your word to want to uh, declare to you by our words and our actions and just really from our heart, Lord, that we uh, love you and value you and, and treasure you more than anyone or anything else. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Turning your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 26. Going to be reading ten verses, starting in verse six. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume, and she poured it upon his head as he reclined at table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this, and they said, What is the point of this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume upon my body, She did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached to the whole world, what this woman has done shall also be spoken of in memory of her. Then one of the twelve named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to deliver him up to you? And they weighed out to him thirty pieces of silver. And from then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray him. One of the things that um, my wife enjoys doing, and um, maybe there's a couple other women and maybe a few men who enjoy this as well, is antiquing. It's kind of interesting to go around into different places and and to see uh, when you go inside an antique store what's there. To me, a casual observance, it looks like a lot of junk, frankly. <laughs> and it's one of those places that I, I kind of hope that she doesn't make the suggestion, let's go do some antiquing, but once in a while it happens and I go along. You do find some things, though. It kind of takes you down memory lane when you walk into these places and you see things that were being uh, were popular household items, uh, maybe back uh, when you were a child, your grandparents, or maybe yourself, if you're at a young age today, you're still using some of those things that are in there. And you just, you just look at it. Some stuff that I would think would be of no value surprises me of what it's selling for. Things like when I was growing up, a matchbox toy. Anybody ever play with the matchbox toys? I saw one a couple of weeks ago that was like one of the little cars for like $18. I thought, well, I'm going to have to hold on to that a little longer. 
We had an estate sale earlier in the month for my uh, wife's mother who passed away in December and we were going through things in the house and there was a lot of it. I said probably it would have been better to have a going out of business sale than a estate sale because she was a person that shopped until you dropped. And um, we had everything. It was interesting as, as we were having to, the week before the sale, had to be valuing and pricing things and seeing what is this worth? And it was, uh, we needed the help of two or three people. It took a whole day of um, feeding them lunch and dinner as well, just to get through it. Some things that I didn't think were worth very much that I was ready to say, let's just throw this away. My wife said, you can't do that. This is valuable. And she'd go on to explain why. Some dishes, for example. I would have maybe sold for and priced for a quarter. She said these are a lot more worth than that. That's on, a, on the monetary side of things. That's on the things of possessions. But I want to ask you this morning, how much is Jesus worth? How much is he worth to you today? In Matthew 26, as I've just read, we have two stories. One that is touching. One that is found, I believe, to be the same account in John's Gospel and Mark and in Luke. And one story here that is absolutely tragic. And it shows, as Matthew and Mark have placed these two stories together for the purpose of showing the contrast in the two devotions that Mary had for Jesus the worth that she saw in Christ and on the contrast of how Judas saw the worth of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we go into and we look at Matthew 26 and we see the first things of what we read about Mary, it really is an amazing devotion, isn't it? You say, well, how do you know it's Mary? Well, if you read John chapter 12, that's how you find out who this woman was. She was Mary, sister of Lazarus. And it's believed that maybe this was shortly after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And believing the Lord's prediction concerning his uh, eventual death, she decided, I believe as we read this account, that it was now or never that she wanted to show her affection, her love, her adoration, her thanksgiving to the Lord Jesus by doing this act now or never. And you know what? She was right, wasn't she? Because she never had the chance to anoint him at his burial because he had risen and he was alive. And so she decided this is the time. And as we read these verses in in Matthew's account, we see, see that she took this very expensive perfume. I understand if it's the same perfume that had originated in the mountains of India. And the account here in Matthew, and if you read in, in the other gospel accounts as well, it says that she, she poured this, in Matthew's account, she poured this upon his head as he reclined at the table. Mary was motivated as you read this. You say, why would someone do this? You understand Mary, you understand her motivation. It was one out of love. 
You don't read in the text that anybody ever told her, this is what you have to do. She voluntarily did this out of love. You know, it's been said that we need right beliefs and right behavior as Christians. And I utterly and totally agree with that. It's incredibly important that we have the right belief about the truths of the faith, right doctrine. It's incredibly important that we have right behavior, that we honor God by the way we live our lives. Matter of fact, the scripture says that the way that you show that you love the Lord today is by your obedience. And Dean's rightly saying, memorizing verses of scripture on obeying God is absolutely important. When the devil, the world, and your flesh is wanting to tempt you, that you have the powerful word of God right there to claim and say, no, no, I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to do what's right, even when others all around me, or even when my heart or my flesh or the world or the devil is telling me to do different. No, I'm going to do right. Right behavior is incredibly important. But we need something else as well. And that is, I think we need right emotion, right feeling. You know that if you are married today or you have someone that you love, that you want your spouse to think right about you, to understand who you are. You want your spouse to, to behave right and do right things with you and towards you. But you also want that sense, don't you, that, that this person has right feelings about me, that they love me, that they treasure me, that they value me, that they're, when they see me, that it's not just kind of a clinical thing that I'm committed to you and, and I'm going to do what's right with you, but I also, my heart skips a beat when I see you. I'm still, I'm in love with you. I, I, that kind of um, if you like, uh, affectionate love, that's something that you feel in the heart. I'll be married um, next year, 25 years, God willing. And there are times, there are times when I don't, but there are times when I look at my wife, Cindy, and I think, you know what, I'm just madly in love with this woman. I met her when I was 15. She was 14. And I think I honestly love her more now, thank God than I did even back when we first got married, back when I was 20 and she was 19. When I see her, my, my heart still skips a beat. I wonder when we think about our God today, do we have an intense personal devotion and passion for him? That is also one of thinking and understandingly rightly about who he is. And rightly wanting to please him. How's your heart? How's your heart today? Is it skipping a beat, if you like, for God? Some of us may have a little bit of a hard time understanding kind of what that means. And if you do, I'll more than gladly talk to you afterwards and try and explain it. It's interesting that when Mary did this act that others thought was absolutely crazy. If you read the accounts, the disciples, but... In addition, primarily Judas scolded her for it. We read here in verse 8, why the waste? Why do something as crazy as this? Are you nuts? But she had a personal devotion and affection for God. And with that, she opened herself up to criticism. 
even from those in the group that did love him, it seemed a little bit extreme on Mary's part. That's how they saw it. You're getting carried away. This Jesus thing. Have you ever heard somebody say that? You're just getting too carried away with them. Our culture likes the phrase moderation in all things. Even if it comes in your relationship with God. People are probably more comfortable, those who don't know him, with moderation. Don't get fanatical about this Jesus. Don't get fanatical about your love and your passion and your devotion to him. She had an amazing devotion. Something else, though, don't you see in here is when you read this account and the others is that she also had an awesome sacrifice that she gave, didn't she? You know, I don't know a whole lot about perfume. I I really don't, and I know there's probably some who do, but I do know this from what I read, that this was an expensive perfume. She could have sold it. She could have gained a profit. That was what was amazing me when we were having this estate sale. Um, it started at 8 o'clock. I've, never, I've only had one other garage sale in all my life, and so I'm really not familiar with how it works. But at 8 o'clock is when I had the posters up. I had people at 7.30 there. And immediately they're, they're, they're trying to bargain with us, and they're, they're trying to get us, and, and they're trying to get it to, for us to sell it at this value so that they can go, maybe the people told me the next day, and sell it at a greater value. It's all about profit, isn't it, in those circumstances? We weren't interested in the profit, so we undersold probably 90% of what was there. We just wanted it to be out of the house. Mary could have sold it. She could have gained quite a profit. Mark tells us it was worth a year's wage, 300 denarii. Some have suggested that if you were to take the equivalent, and I'm not sure exactly how accurate this is, but if you get the idea that if you were to take the minimum wage of today, that would be possibly around $10,000. A year's wage. Think of what your year's wage is today. Can you imagine one jar of perfume that costs that much? Now, this wasn't a situation where she got the nice smelling, maybe the cheapest brand, and just kind of little, did a little squirt or a little dab to save it. And just put a little bit on Jesus' head or on his feet. She didn't do that. She poured it out. This entire bottle of perfume, this costly ointment, went on to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, what's exciting is Mary knew what she was doing, but she didn't care. She didn't care what others thought. All that mattered to her that she knew that this would please God. This would please her Savior To her mind, when she thought about comparing pros and cons, value, worth, Jesus versus this perfume, it was a no-brainer. It was going to go to Jesus. And that's how she saw it. You know, rather than being concerned about the cost, I don't know if you can, with holy imagination, picture the scene here. I don't picture Mary having a down face, thinking, oh, what am I doing? And just 
you know, kind of doing it anyway. I bet her face was happy. I bet she had a smile on her face as she was doing this act of love and affection and worship for Christ. It's been said, and David said this in the Old Testament, didn't he? And I think you probably know this, and I do too, but if an offering is to be meaningful, it should cost us something, shouldn't it? The question is today that if we value Christ, what a value, what a value in your life and in mine are we willing to sacrifice to and for him? What might that be? Mary didn't think, what is the least I can do? Which is sometimes how we think. Or how much do I have to pour? She gave it all. And you know, I've never really fully understood this, and I'm not sure I fully understand it now. It's one of these things I may have to ask the Lord about when I get to heaven. But in verse 13, when Jesus said, Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done shall also be spoken of her, or I'm sorry, be spoken of in memory of her. You wonder when, when, when Matthew recorded that, when those words were uttered, why, why exactly would it say that, that wherever this gospel is preached to the whole world, what this woman has done shall be also spoken of in memory of her? What, what quite would be the significance? Yes, it's a hugely significant act. Is there something more? I want to suggest to you, when Mary poured this perfume on Jesus, she was not only picturing some aspects of what Christ did on the cross, but she also pictured the way that we should respond to him. And in a sense, she is a picture, a small picture of what Christ did. He had amazing devotion for you and I. Amazing affection. And he gave an amazing sacrifice when, as we heard about from the choir today, when he shed that precious blood for our sins. Mary is a, is a small picture of Christ in the very act of what she did. That amazing love, amazing sacrifice. It pales in comparison, but it's a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you and I. You know, when I read this passage of Scripture, and I really ask God to search my heart, and you're probably familiar with it. It's in a lot of the, like I said, it's in the gospel accounts. Do, do you come to the conclusion, does it maybe strike you like it struck me, that maybe, just maybe, I'm too reserved in my love for God? Maybe I'm too concerned with what others think. You know, I have to confess, there's a t-shirt I have that says, One Lord. One God, Jesus. There have been a couple of times in my life when I've looked at that T-shirt and said, you know, I don't, really, I, don't really, I don't really feel like wearing that shirt today when I've gone to the gym. I think I'll just wear a white T-shirt. It's safer. I don't know why. I don't quite know what was going on at the time when that was. But you know what? I was just a little bit in that situation. I'm just a little bit embarrassed. A little bit embarrassed about Jesus little bit too reserved in wanting others to know that I knew him. That he's my Lord and he's my God. You ever felt that way? Have you ever done every, anything that's so outrageous for Christ that you were criticized by others? 
Now, I'm not talking about doing something that's inappropriate and where your behavior is out of control and you're doing something that just, you know, somebody says you need to, you know, hey, you know, let's do things decently and in order as Scripture says. Yes, I understand that. But have you ever done anything with a pure heart? And you know what your motives are. They're pure because, and it's just out of extravagance because you love them. You just want to do it. You don't, you don't care what others think in the sense that you're not going to be peer, have peer pressure hold you back. Is your love for the Lord Jesus evident for others to see like it was here for Mary? And you look at this, you just can't miss it. Maybe she prepared, had this perfume initially for, for all I know, for her own wedding one day. Maybe it was for Lazarus who she was going to prepare for his burial. And in fact, the, the Lord Jesus had healed him. She didn't need it for that. And she says, I'm going to give this as a thank offering to the Lord now. But it was evident. Others saw it. Do others in our place of work, where we live, does the aroma the fragrance of Jesus Christ, is it, is it coming off us because of our time with him, because we know him? When I look at this, I see that Mary appreciated the true worth. She appreciated the value and the incredible preciousness of Jesus, even when, for whatever reason, the disciples, and particularly Judas, didn't get it. And they thought, you know what, Mary? This could have been given to the poor. What are you doing? And verse 8 says, it says, that they were indignant. They, just, they didn't just kind of have a different opinion. They were indignant. And they said, what's the point of this waste? People are going to say that to you. As you give your life for Jesus, as you serve him, as you live for him, may somebody say to us, what's the point? And we can turn it around and we'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly what the point is of who my God is and what he's done for me. That's a positive example for you and I to be looking at today. We look at her, we look at her example. But the scriptures in Matthew and Mark, for purposes of, I believe, of showing us the contrast, now tell us about this other character, Judas. I read it in verse 14 and 16, but it says, let's look at it again. Then one of the twelve named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me to deliver him up to you? And they weighed out to him 30 pieces of silver. You know that from Old Testament, that that's the price of a slave. And from then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray him. Man, this is just like, we're, we're, we were in you know, fourth gear here, and now all of a sudden we're going into reverse of a contrast in Mary and in Judas. He, like Mary... Will always be remembered, won't he? You know anybody that names their kids Judas? I can't think of anybody. Nobody names their child Judas. He'll always be remembered for what not, for what not to be. Mary will earn fame for being a dedicated follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Judas, infamy. You know what, Matthew 26, if you looked at verse 24, the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him, but woe to that man through whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Of Judas, he says, it would have been good for that man if he had not been born. It's pretty strong, isn't it? 
Can he get any stronger? That's what he said. You know, interesting about Judas, when I, you think of how he was with the Lord and you look at Mary and you think, you know what? They both appear more aware of the Lord's predictions concerning his death than maybe the disciples did. It's interesting. They didn't sometimes seem to get it. And he said it. I'm going to be dying. And three days later, I'm going to take this body. I'm going to rise again. You almost seem to get the sense that they just didn't get it until it really almost happened. Now, that's what he was talking about. You get the sense that Mary knew that it was imminent. You get the sense that Judas knew And he was getting more and more agitated by the very fact that what his plans were for Jesus, what he followed Jesus for, what he wanted out of Jesus wasn't going to happen. He wasn't going to do anything about restoring Israel against the Romans and helping them against the oppression there. He wasn't going to get wealthy off it, of following Christ. And basically, maybe all of his motivations of why he said he followed Jesus Christ were starting one by one by one to evaporate. And he saw it. He said, I've had enough. And maybe this act here was at the conclusion where he said, this is it. He's talking about his death. A woman's wasting money that I could have had. He never cared about the poor, the scripture tells us. That was just a front. He said, you know what, your death, I bet he thought, you know what, your death means my cause of following you is hopeless. Where Mary saw, you know what? Because of what you're going to do, there's hope. There's hope for the world. Judas saw it different. It's interesting that he didn't see the Lord Jesus at his Lord. You read the accounts that he saw him as his rabbi, as his teacher. I think that's as far as it went. Money was something to be gained for Judas. And sought after. Why the waste? That's pretty strong to say. It all boils down to two questions, doesn't it, when you think about it? Maybe there's more than that. But two simple questions. And as I asked in the beginning, how much do you value Jesus? And the follow-up to that is, what would you exchange? What would you exchange for Jesus? To Mary, he was priceless. You know, when you read something's priceless, you can't put a price on it. And to her, he was priceless. You have a possession of yours that when you look at it for emotional, sentimental reasons or whatever else, or maybe it's just the cost of it, and you say, you know what, that's not for sale. It's, I'm not exchanging that for anything else. It's priceless. When you think about the Lord Jesus Christ today, is one of the words that comes to your mind is he is priceless. I won't trade anything or anyone for him no matter what because there's no price that you can put on him. You know, it's sad, isn't it? You think of Judas. He was with Jesus daily. He witnessed the miracles. He saw the wonders that he performed. And yet he traded his loyalty He traded his loyalty to Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. You think about it. Maybe you can find 30 pieces of silver in your pocket today. And you think, you know what? This is what he's worth. This is what he's worth. 30 pieces. 
couple lessons that we can learn from Judas that I was challenged as, as, I, as I read this account. And I just saw the contrast and I said, Lord God, I don't want to in any way, shape, or form be like Judas. I'm going to touch on that in just a second as we get ready to wrap up. One is this. It is possible to be in close proximity, to be near the Savior without possessing salvation. You can be near believers. You can be near the things of God. You can be where songs and hymns of God are sung. You can be where the Word of God is open. You can be under the teaching of the Word. You can be in a sense in proximity because Jesus says, where two have three have gathered together in my name that I am in the midst. You could be in a situation today where you're in proximity where Jesus is and even with his followers, but you don't know him. Judas didn't know him. The son of perdition. You do any kind of an account on Judas. And Judas was someone who had made, if you like, as we use the phrase today, he'd made some type of, if it look, looks like a profession of faith. He, he, by all appearances to the disciples, he knew the Lord. He was one of the twelve. But you look at his life. You look at his words. You look at how he ended his life. This was someone who was in close proximity, but never possessed salvation. He never bowed the knee to Christ as Lord. And there are some people that are in that kind of proximity and have yet to this day not bowed the knee. A second thing that we need to be careful of when we look at Judas, and this applies to believers, is we need to be careful of incubating, someone has said, sin in our lives. Somebody has said, and this is very true, many of our flat tires are not blowouts, but slow leaks. You know, when you think of someone that that goes off, that falls away from the Lord, that starts to not value Christ as priceless and begins to exchange him and betray him, nickel and dime in quarter, it starts with sin being incubated in our lives, doesn't it? It's not a blowout, like maybe you've had once or twice in your life where all of a sudden the tire just blows out. But it's that slow leak. Eventually, while not as dramatic as the blowout, the same result happens, doesn't it? The tire goes flat. Many of the sins which appear to occur so suddenly, the ones that seem to others so unexpectedly, are really matters that we have long time pondered and considered, haven't we? Do you think Judas just just like that decided, you know, from what you would think? You know, he just decided, I'm going to betray him. No. That thought had been an intention in him for a long time. Matter of fact, the scripture says, intending, intending, continuous, was something that his heart, his mind was thinking about. It was a slow leak, if you like, and it went to the point where it did. Some of us would say, you know, we're absolutely shocked. We're shocked by his actions, and yet, if you think about how he lived, you watch him, do a character study on him. Not because you just want to go down some dark road. And reading about Judas, but what you can learn, what you can learn about him. 
Someone has said, and it's one of these ancient phrases that was coined, I guess, back in, in ancient times and uh, when it came to the universal rule for trade and commerce. It's this phrase. The value of anything is determined by how much it can be traded for. The value of anything can be determined by how much it can be traded for. When Judas, if he thought of that phrase, he said, you know what the value of Christ is? What are you willing to give me? And they weighed out to him 30 pieces of silver. And he even wasn't like at the garage sales that I had where people said, no, 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 no. 40, you know, 20, 15. No, he accepted it. 30 pieces of silver as the scripture prophesied he would. Think about the inferior things that we exchange or we trade for spiritual things. We say, ooh, it's getting too close, you know. Getting too close now. And I don't mean this in a legalistic way, but I mean in a sense of exactly where Mary was with the heart. That's the most important thing is where's your heart? Not that we get into doing something for, for man to see. So that to man, to our brothers and sisters, that they see us behaving in this way. But first and foremost, what's our heart like with God? So when the situation comes that he says, you know what? I value you so much and I value a fellowship with you and communication with you so much that I long to meet with you. I long to, to meet with you to be where you're reading my word and I'm communicating to you and as we're in prayer together. And you think, okay, I, I've got an opportunity to meet the, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings under his word. And then you think, but... But wait a second, and you, you kind of think about it, you go, but I got, um, there's a, there's a uh, sale on at the mall I want to go to, and, uh, you know, it's two for one, and that's a great deal, so I got to get to that. Or you think, you know, I'm just absolutely, uh, and this is a continuous thing now, I'm not talking where God understands that some of us have to work on Sundays, or there's certain things we have to do that are emergencies, and we can't avoid it, but certain opportunities where we have to be together, where God is present, and we say, well, you know what, I, I just need some more sleep, you know. I, I, there's, or there's this absolutely fantastic show on television that I want to watch. And you know what? What it is is you think about it, what it is that ever you're putting there, you're saying, you know what? That's what I exchanged the value of the Lord. When it's, I can't judge you on that or judge myself on that. You can't, but I can say, you know what? What do I really treasure? What do I really value? And my actions often speak louder than my words, don't they? Have you established your value upon Christ? Judas did. In conclusion, you know, when you think about this uh, text in Matthew 26, like Mary, where Mary maybe is like a picture of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and what she was willing to, to sacrifice out of her absolute love and affection for him. Judas, I guess, is a picture in some respects, isn't he, of the devil? That his goals and attitudes and desires were just like the enemy. Self-serving, self-pleasing, a thief who's out to kill and to rob and to destroy, as John 10.10 says. Satan wanted Judas, and he got him. And that was due to the fact that Judas rejected the Messiah. And he had absolutely, therefore, no divine power to resist the enemy. 
You think of Peter. You think, you know, you know, wasn't that tragic how, how he betrayed the Lord? But it wasn't an exciting and encouraging thing about Peter is as he came back. He recognized his sin. He recognized his folly and he wept and he returned to the Lord. And as we read about Peter after that account of how he betrayed the Lord, that he was a stronger believer, more bold for Christ than ever before. He learned from it. Praise God today when you and I betray him nickel and dime and quarter, if we're doing that today by our actions, if we're doing that by our lack of words or our words, in some way if he's being betrayed today by you and I, we can go to him. We can ask for forgiveness. We can say, Lord, please forgive me for that. Help me be bold and strong for you. Help me be like Mary, who wasn't ashamed of what others would think, and to do something extravagant for you out of love and affection and praise and worship. You know, there was a song that we sang in Ireland that uh, was very simple. It was a short chorus, but it just went like this. Jesus, thou art precious. Lord Jesus, thou art precious. Precious to me. Precious to me. More and more day by day, your worth I see. Savior, Redeemer, Healer, and Friend. In everything, you're precious to me. May God help us today that with each passing day, until that day that he comes for us or we go to meet him, may we see him as absolutely precious, priceless, worthy of our all, And God will receive the glory, in fact, when we do that. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that we serve a God who we say today that you are our treasure and our reward, Lord. We thank you so much for the very life that you lived, that you would be willing to go to a cross for us and to shed your blood so that we could be so rich today. Lord, we will not, and our intention, our desire to you today is, is that we tell you that we don't want to betray you, Lord. We don't want to, in some sense, resemble Judas and go against you. And yet, God, we, we, we're conscious of the fact that maybe nickel and dime, we do. Lord, our, our prayer today is, is that we will, um, by the power of your Spirit, uh, be more devoted to you and committed to you with each passing day. Lord, help us just to be alert to the, the very things that sometimes we're basically saying by the way we live, that we, we value this. We value this thing, even maybe this person more than that, more than you, Lord. And may you just stop us in our tracks and bring us back on the right path. For we ask it in Jesus' name.